Welcome to the Vineyard Cleveland podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. For further information and other resources, please visit vineyardcleveland.org. So this morning, here, as Cindy uh, read for us a little bit, here's where we've left off. Um, For those of you who joined us on Friday night, Tim McLaren did a wonderful job uh, from the scriptures, uh, painting us a picture and reminding us that no matter how how, uh, familiar we think we are with the work of the cross, Jesus' um, call to us is to see the cross afresh. And I believe he's saying the same thing this morning about the empty tomb in the grave. So Tim left us at the foot of the cross on Friday night, and we saw how Jesus was brutally murdered, and it was our sin who put Jesus there on the cross. And this morning, we come to an entirely different scene. And so the key verse out of Matthew 28, verse 2, was that there was a violent earthquake. For an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. I love it. I sensed as I was preparing over the past month or so for this morning that there are some stones that are going to roll away this morning in our lives. That Jesus wants to roll the stone away afresh for us this morning. There's questions that are asked at the tomb. And Matthew, Matthew's like straight to the point. No questions. Matthew's just saying, this is what happened. Here we are and we're done. In Mark, there's one question and the question is asked in verse 3. The women ask the question, the big question for us this morning, who will roll away the stone for us? In Luke, the good doctor has one question that's asked at the site of the tomb. It's, what do you, why do you look for the living among the dead? And in John, there's a few questions that are asked. The angels ask them, and then Jesus repeats the question. In verse 13 and 15, why are you crying? And then, who are you looking for? And I just really sense the Holy Spirit, His leading us to reflect on the questions that were asked at the tomb, mainly the questions that the women ask as they're on their way to the tomb of Jesus. Who will roll away the stone for us? You know, this question has stuck out to me over the past month or so as this great universal sigh. It's filled with sorrow. And it's a question that we all seem to ask in our lives. It's a question that's been asked by those in the past, from generation to generation, who will roll away the stone? Is there more life available to us? There must be more to life than this. Have you ever asked this question? Who can move this massive rock away from my life? Who can bring my life beyond what I'm experiencing? Who can bring me life? Who can bring hope? Who can see hope on my life? 
The women were coming to embalm the body of Jesus that morning. But really what they were doing was simply following the pattern that they were used to following. That life begets death. They were coming to lay spices on dead bones, on dead remains. They were paying homage to death. Generation after generation, the same question was asked. And we ask it in our day. Who will roll the stone away? If you've ever laid loved ones in the grave or felt the sting of death and the pain of loss, surely there must be some way to experience resurrection. But no one had ever figured out a way to come back. Who will roll away the stone? Who will roll away the stone of addiction? Who will roll away the stone of depression, of loneliness? The stone of death is firmly set in place ever since the garden. It's locked in the great Tolkien language. The way is shut in the dead. Keep it. Can dry bones live again? Will we be reunited with loved ones who have passed before us? Can anyone return? The answer to everyone before Jesus was nope. The way is shut. But the women came to an empty tomb that morning. Jesus had risen. And now there is an answer to that question that the whole earth has been asking since the garden. There is another life. Bodies will live again, for Jesus lives. The work of Jesus, finished at the cross, is rewarded. And we will come out from that land of the old enemy, death. And we will live. And we can have hope that the grave is not the end. He will wipe away every tear from our faces. The grave is no longer something to be viewed as something to be feared, but rather to be viewed as a passageway into life. So, this morning, I'm done, and we're going to let the stone preach to us today. After all, it was Jesus who said, if we don't do it, the rocks will cry out in praise of Jesus. So we're going to let the stone preach to us this morning. We're going to read the account of the resurrection out of Mark. We read this in Mark chapter, chapter 16. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome brought spices so that they might go anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise. Don't you love that? It's so epic. There's a new day for humanity coming. Very early the women came to the tomb on the first day of the week. They were on their way to the tomb and they asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, every gospel account, takes note that this stone was large, had been rolled away. 
As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting, that's important, on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You're looking for Jesus, the Nazarene, who is crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they had laid him? But go, tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you, trembling and bewildered, Eben's emphasis, freaking out. The women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. When Jesus rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had driven seven demons. She went and told those who had been with him and who were mourning and weeping. When they heard that Jesus was alive and that she had seen him, they did not believe it. Afterward, Jesus appeared in a different form to two of them while they were walking in the country. These returned and reported it to the rest, but they did not believe them either. And we'll talk about that instance next Sunday. So let's let the stone preach to us this morning. The first thing that the stone would say is that the door of the grave has been removed. The stone of death is a really big stone. It's a really big stone. And in Matthew 27, we're told that Joseph of Arimathea, a very wealthy man in, in uh, Israel, uh, gave up his own gravesite for Jesus. It was a new tomb that Jesus' body was laid into. And Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all go to extents, I mean, they go far beyond what's really necessary to tell the story to let us know that this stone was large and it was set in a groove. And these women who were moving towards the tomb that morning obviously felt that they could not move it on their own. They needed help to get that stone out of the way, to anoint Jesus' body, to embalm his body. We notice, as we look at the story, that this doorway, this entrance into the tomb, to death, was not simply opened, it was flung aside by Jesus. It was unhinged, it was rolled away, and those who claimed Jesus this morning, are simply passing through the tomb, not to be shut inside of death any longer. Nothing, another way to say this, is nothing will prevent you and I from coming out of the grave just like Jesus did. Jesus has removed the door, and the stone rolling away has removed the door to death, flung it aside, unhinged it, taken it away, rolled it away. I'm reminded of Judges 16.3, and this is a really great picture of Jesus. Samson was laying there. He's in the Philistine city in the enemy's camp, you see. And he lay there only until the middle of the night. And then, you see, Samson, he got up. You see, Jesus got up, and Samson, the strong man, right, took hold of the doors of the city gate, 
together with the two posts, and he tore them loose, bar and all. He lifted them to his shoulders and carried them to the top of the hill that faces Hebron. Hebron. Isn't that a wonderful picture of what Jesus did to the stone and how the stone has been rolled away? Jesus is the strong man who raids the enemy's camp and exposes the grave for what it really is, which is nothing to fear in itself. He's done the same thing. He's taken the door to death, the stone. He's torn it loose, bars and all. So great is the power of God, more powerful than death itself. He lifted it on his shoulders and he carried it away. Yet Jesus at the cross has taken every single sin, every offense, Everything that separates you and I from God. He's taken it. He's taken it away. He's tore it loose from the groove and rolled the stone away. He exposes the open tomb, leaving it open to be raided. Did you love that? And this is what is happening when Jesus dies for our sin. In that great sacrificial substitutionary act of Jesus willingly laying down his life. Remember, Jesus was not a victim. He, he says he, he gave his life for us. He bled and he died for our sin. He's taking all of it upon himself until none of it remains None of it. Remember, it was Jesus from his own lips who said, It is finished. It's finished. It's done. The debt's paid. There's no, there's, there's no more to be paid. I can't, I can't find any more sin to heap on the shoulders of Jesus. The debt's been paid. At the cross, Jesus says, it's finished. And on that day, as the stone is rolled away, he's not breaking free like some um, escaping convict or felon out of prison. He peacefully gets up and comes forth. He just comes forth. He's not a felon. He's justified. He comes forward in peace with the keys to death itself in his hands. Jesus' death on the cross is so perfect, so complete, so final. And here's the work. The work of the cross is that people like you and like me, because Jesus is so complete and justified, that we are set free as well. That's how complete, that's how finished the work of God through Jesus is at the cross, that we are justified as well. And when the Father looks at you, he does not see on you all of the sins that you think he sees on you. He simply views you through the lens of Jesus' paid work on the cross, that your debts are forgiven because Jesus paid the price. 
The Father looks at you and sees you clean, your debt erased, set free because of Jesus' finished work at the cross. Another way to say this is that his work is so complete, there is nothing under the sun, around the sun, over the sun, there is nothing that can keep us in the grave anymore. Nothing. There's nothing. Death for us who claim Jesus, get it. Death for us is not a punishment for sin. It's an entrance to peace and rest. Our sins are rolled away just like that stone was in the name of Jesus. You see, death isn't a dungeon to be locked up in anymore, right? Death is a five-star Airbnb with awesome reviews on the way to paradise. It's a waiting room to be with Jesus. Jesus rose so that you and I could come out of the grave just like him. The stone which could keep us in, that prison is rolled away. Who, who could ever bar you inside of that door ever again? Once Jesus rips it off, once Jesus rolls away the stone, who's going to put that stone back in place? Who's more powerful than Jesus? Nobody. I'll answer that one. Who can confine us when every barricade has been taken away? Nobody. I'll answer that one too. No one, nobody's going to roll that stone back into its groove ever again because Jesus' work on the cross was so final and so complete. It reminds me of the Apostle John in Revelation 3-7 when he writes to the angel of the church in Philadelphia, not Pennsylvania, Philadelphia in Greece. He says, write this to these people. These people apparently need encouraged that Jesus holds the keys to death itself. He said, write this. Jesus says, write this, John. Tell the people in Philadelphia. Well, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania as well. Let's tell them as well. The pe- heck, the people in Cleveland, we need to be encouraged with this. Write uh, the angel of the church of Vineyard Cleveland. Write this down for these people this morning, here on Sunday morning. The words of the Holy One, Jesus, the true one who has, who possesses the key to the house of David. He's got the keys. Who opens doors and no one will shut. And who shuts doors that no one can open. Yeah, the door to death has been removed. If the stone could preach to us this morning, the stone would say that it's a monument to Christ's victory over death. It's a monument to Christ's victory over death. You see, the powers of death thought they'd vanquished him. They looked on the beaten body of Jesus on the cross and cackled the powers of death did. They, they were winning that the crucified Jesus was overcome. How many of you guys have been to Washington, D.C.? Have been to the Capitol and walked around? What's your favorite monument? What's your favorite memorial? I'm breaking the third wall here. Who is it? What is it? FDR is a good one. 
Who likes Lincoln, Lincoln Memorial? Yeah, Lincoln Memorial is one of my favorites. Vietnam War Memorial. The MLK Memorial is wonderful. Jefferson's a good one. Is there a chicken at his feet? Isn't there? One of Lincoln's hands is in a fist. The other's open. War and peace. Lots of stuff going on there. In the spring, just wonderful to look, look around these memorials, these monuments, and to remember great, great people from the past. You see, we set these things up to remember so that we won't forget. We won't forget. So we set up memorials out of stone, and we, we set them up as big as we can set them up so that we won't forget. Why? Because we forget everything. We forget all the time. We're leaky. We don't remember anything. <laughs> I don't even know what my name is right now. <laughs> Forgot. It's so wonderful to walk around the Capitol in the spring. Cherry blossoms are blooming. And to be in the presence of these memorials, these monuments, signifying great events, great people of the past. Friends, as we look at the stone that's been rolled away, and the angel sitting on top of it, it becomes a monument to Jesus' victory over hell and the grave. I want to encourage us this morning. I want to encourage you to set up a stone for your faith today. Let that stone that's been rolled away become a monument for your faith. Say, in setting up that monument, say, here God has been faithful to me. He has never let me down. Say, here on this place, on this spot, Jesus defeated sin and death for me. This is the place for my freedom. Death is no more. Christ is crowned the victor. And by his strength, I'll be victorious too. Right here, this stone marks the spot that the last enemy, death, was defeated. Can you see it? You set it up as a monument in your life this morning. That stone that's been rolled away is for your freedom to step into a new life. The stone, if it were preaching this morning, would remind us that it's been rolled away as a foundation. The stone rolled away is a foundation. You know, the fact of the resurrection is this, that no one had ever come back from the dead. And eyewitness accounts and early accounts, embarrassing details, all of these contribute to the fact. Uh, I mean, have you ever, here's what I'm trying to get at. Have you ever just stopped and just thought about um, the fact that, like, Jesus was this real person? Like he, like, he was, like, this real dude. Like, like, he really lived in time and space. In history, there was this guy, and he lived. He lived a sinless life, keeping every measure of the law, and defeat it like he really did, like he really lived and, and died a criminal's death, though he was innocent, on a Roman cross. Like he really did that. 
And he really was buried in a rich man's tomb. It's not like it's not some fairy tale. Like it actually happened. It's a part of history. And I would say it's the most important historical fact. By far, it's actually where all of history is headed. Yeah, the early eyewitness accounts and the extra-biblical sources of Tacitus, of Lucian, of Josephus, all of these guys from outside the Christian faith are saying, hey, there was this guy, and he was for real. He was the real deal. And people called him the Messiah. And then he, ra- he rose up from the grave. Like, like people who didn't believe we're saying this about him. Like it was real. I don't know if I can drive that point home anymore. <laughs> like that he was a real guy. And that he actually rose from the dead. Embarrassing details. You know, the disciples weren't out to start a new religion. You know, we think about it in our Western minds. And we're like, hey, we've got to get the marketing out. We're going to set up this new religion. And everybody's, we're going to get all these followers on Twitter and social media. We're, we're just going to, we're just going to get, um, we're, going to, we're, we're going to make it go viral. Like if the apostles were here this morning, they were like, we really don't want this thing to get out. Like we believe in a dead guy who comes back from the dead. And here's the glory of the resurrection. It's filled, this story is filled with embarrassing details. The most of which is who were the first to arrive at the tomb. That's right, Sawyer. You were. Women. Women were the first to arrive at the tomb of Jesus. Some people are like, women can't be pastors. Women can't be evangelists. Uh, have you read the resurrection story? <laughs> women were the first evangelists. Women did preach. And what did men, yeah. And what did men do? The same thing that men do today. You're crazy. The apostle that Jesus loved, John. Peter, too. The women were like, he's raised from the dead. He's alive. He's risen. And they're like, you're crazy. You're loons. The Greek, it is. It's in there. The Greek word for not believing, it's so tame. The Greek phrase is fairy tales. These women are spinning fairy tales. It really is in there. So that Hope would land on women first is something very, one, deep and precious and empowering about the heart of God. For how the news of the resurrection spreads, for the gospel to come through and land on women first is amazing. Especially in this time you see Jewish women's testimony in the court of law was, was, was banned, was not credible, because women can't be trusted. So their eyewitness account was banned. They couldn't even testify in the court of law. 
Yet, they're the main eyewitnesses to Jesus' resurrection. There's no way that the apostles are like, let's take this thing viral. Not, not a chance. There are embarrassing details about the resurrection story that we center our lives around. Which give more evidence to the fact of the resurrection. You see. And the greatest evidence for the case of the resurrection, you know, you can have all your eyewitness accounts, all your embarrassing details, early accounts, close to the scene, right? First at the scene. You can take all, all those, but the great, you know what the greatest evidence to the resurrection is? It's that when people come into contact with Jesus, the real Jesus, their lives are completely and entirely turned upside down. Cities, entire empires have been transformed as a result of the story of the resurrection. The greatest evidence for the fact of the resurrection is that our lives, Vineyard Cleveland, are completely transformed. That we no longer live like the door to death is shut but that we live in a different way. Our lives are upside down where we prefer others over ourselves, where we look at the person of Jesus as our model for how to serve and love and care for our families. That's the greatest evidence for the case and the fact of the resurrection is that our lives are changed. So the resurrection is a foundation And I just want to ask us this morning, where is your hope and your trust pinned on this morning? Is it pinned on the fact of the resurrection, the truth of the resurrection? Or maybe your hope is placed somewhere else. Maybe your hope is placed in a sports team, or uh, maybe your hope is placed in your family even, well-intentioned. Maybe your hope is placed in a, a person. Maybe your hope is placed... In shopping, I don't know. But if it's placed anywhere else than in the person of the risen Jesus, it's misplaced. And it's actually no hope at all. Jesus is the only one, the risen Jesus, who can bring us real hope this morning on Resurrection Sunday. Fourthly, if the stone could preach, there's 12 more. You guys are doing great. Number four is that the stone is rolled away. Uh, the stone rolled away is rest for us. It's rest. Everybody just breathe. Rest. Once the angel rolled away from the stone, uh, rolled away the stone uh, from the tomb. Notice, uh, notice what he does. He sits down. In a similar way, the gospel writers are hearkening back even to the very creation story. After six days of creating and working, you see, what does God do? He rests. Sabbath is instituted. In the same way, the angel, God, rolls away the stone from the tomb and he sits down. Sitting down in scripture is really important. Where's Jesus right now? Sat down. He sat. His work's done. He sat down. Where? At the right hand of the Father. That's where he is. He sat down. 
The angel sat down. He rested. rested. You know, there, there's no pomp and circumstance about this. There's none. He just sits down. You picture the angel. Just chill. It was quiet. You know, it was peaceful. He just sat down on top of the roadway stone. And he sat there gracefully, silently, almost as if he were breathing defiance to the Jewish religious leaders who put Jesus in there and sealed him up inside of it, almost breathing peacefully in defiance against the Roman government and their spears and their display of power. He just... He just sat there laughing at death and hell. He sat down as if to say, come, come back and try and roll that stone back into place and see what happens. <laughs> just chill. Come, come back and try to put that thing back in the groove. I dare you, if you can, come back and try and put it back into place. Now, he didn't actually say this in the verse. It's my paraphrase, of course. But his stately and quiet sitting upon the stone means all of that and more. Jesus' work is finished. There is no rest provided more complete than the finished work of Jesus. It's like Jesus is saying to us this morning, you come and rest as well. You come and have rest as well. Do you have anxiety over death this morning? Over the loss of a loved one, perhaps? Come and rest a bit on the stone. Come and rest. Another picture of Jesus in the Old Testament we find in Genesis 29. It's about Jacob. It's a, he's on his journey to find a wife. And he's traveling through the land looking for a wife. And we read this about Jacob. It's Really wonderful, beautiful picture of Jesus, really. Then Jacob continued on his journey and came to the land of the eastern peoples. There he saw a well in the open country with three flocks of sheep lying near it because the flocks were watered from that well. The stone over the mouth of the well was large. Hear it? When all the flocks were gathered there, the shepherds, would roll the stone away from the well's mouth and water the sheep. It's not a wonderful picture of Jesus right there for us in the Old Testament and Jacob on his journey for a bride, looking for a bride, looking for the church. He comes to this well. In the same way, Jesus rolls the stone away. And because the stone is rolled away, we have rest. Our lives are rekindled. Our lives are refreshed. Our lives are renewed because we're able to drink from the fountain that is deep. We're able to drink from the well that is living water, you see. Jesus is that well. The stone is rolled away for our rest. Fifthly, the stone is a boundary marker. It's a boundary marker. In 1 Peter 2, 7 and 8, we read that 
to us who believe the stone is precious, but to those who do not believe the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. Can you see it? The stone is a boundary marker. It's been rolled away. And on one side, there are the guards, the Roman guards, and they're terrified, they're frightened, they're afraid. And on the other side, there's the women and the angels saying to them, fear not. The stone became the boundary between the living and the dead, between the seekers and the haters, between the friends and the foes. To his enemies, you see, Jesus' resurrection is a stumbling block. It's offensive to our pride. It's offensive that we cannot save ourselves. If we're really being honest with one another this morning, and I hope we are, it's offensive to us that we are not our own Savior. Ouch. It hurts our pride to know that we are not powerful enough We are not strong enough that we cannot roll the stones in our lives away by our own hands or our own will, our own willpower, that we just don't have it in us to defeat this enemy of death. But you know who is strong enough? If we would be humble enough to enter and just receive. And that's it. Just receive. Just come out of the house. Come out of the tomb with our hands up and say, you got me. I am a sinner. I do need a Savior. That's it. Jesus would save so completely, so utterly. The stone is a boundary marker. It's offensive to those who are enemies of the resurrection, but to those who know Christ's love, this boundary marker is a triumph and a delight. So I would, I'd like us to ask ourselves this morning, on which side of the boundary stone are you now? Do you have life and joy in Christ? Are you risen with Christ? Do you trust alone in him who rose up from the grave to step on the other side of the boundary marker. Where is your hope? Okay, last. The stone rolled away foreshadows fullness. The stone rolls away foreshadows fullness. In Matthew 4.23, Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. Every disease, and sickness among the people. You see, what Jesus was doing here, for a moment, if you picture um, the works of the enemy as a castle, as a fortress, and people are locked up inside of it, this old medieval castle. Can you see it in your mind's eye? And you and I, we're locked up inside of that castle, And Jesus in his life, in his ministry, goes throughout all the land. And stone by stone, he starts taking down that fortress. 
And the one big one that stands in the middle, he finally gets to on Resurrection Sunday so that the whole fortress comes down. And this is where the rub is. And here is where we are now and not yet people. Because we say, yes, I get it. I understand that. That death is defeated. You have said it about a million times. I understand that. But I look outside and it doesn't match up with what I see. My family, if you only knew my family, if you only knew the trauma or abuse that I suffered when I was a child, if you only knew how tough addiction has been for my loved one or for me, if you only knew, it's hard to say that death and hell and the grave are defeated when we look outside or we look around our family or we look within ourselves and it doesn't match up. What do we do with that? Where do we, where do we go with that? And I'm asking, literally, I don't have any answers other than to say we go to Jesus. We go to him. And that one day, every stone, Jesus said, no stone will be left on top of the other when he was talking about the temple. All the other stones will come down. And in the resurrection of Jesus, I would apply the same principle. Every stone of evil will come down. It will. It will be obliterated. Every power of hell, every authority in a high place will come down. It will come down. Jesus' resurrection is a prophecy to fullness. It's not only a fulfillment of prophecy, it also points forward to how prophecy will be fulfilled. All at the same time. Paradoxical. Crazy. Crazy. That it also points forward as well. Every stone will come down. 